You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, Episode 60. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so on today's episode, we're going to talk about something that we actually see and deal with on a quite consistent basis. Today, we're going to talk about PCOS. Which PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a little bit misleading because not everybody with PCOS has polycystic ovaries. But we're definitely going to get into that later in the podcast. But mainly with this specific one we're going to talk to you about is questions to ask your doctor if you think or you've been diagnosed with PCOS. Yeah. Now, granted, PCOS has been around for a long time. I think it used to be called Levinston something uh, named by a couple of doctors like, you know, 50 years ago. So PCOS has been around for a long time. It's a it's a syndrome, not a disease. Um, you know, we can kind of debate that, um, but it usually has some hallmarks as to you know the syndrome, which is usually just a collection of symptoms. Um, but we think it even goes a little further than that, and we think that a lot of women sometimes, if they don't meet the you know the exact definition of PCOS, they get kind of missed and lost in the shuffle sometimes, and maybe don't get a, a proper diagnosis a lot earlier than they should. Exactly, and then on the you know, the other side of the coin there is a lot of women have been told they have PCOS, but they don't necessarily have it because their doctors are just basing it on their symptoms. So that's where we wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit today about, you know, what to ask your doctors, um, what to request and what you might be looking for if you think, or you've been diagnosed with PCOS. Yeah, right. Now, I think it's estimated that PCOS is the number one reason for infer- uh, for fertility issues, right? So I think it's estimated about 10 to 15% of the reproductive age population has PCOS. Oh, I think the number is quite a bit higher than that because that's based on uh, some conventional diagnostic parameters. And I think that it, you know, it goes a little bit beyond that uh, in a lot of cases. We're going to talk about that on a, a couple of future episodes. Uh, but so why don't we start off like um, what you and I see all the time. We end up in a lot, of t- a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times we end up diagnosing someone of having PCOS or what we would call maybe even PCOS-like, you know, something that, um, you know, would be, um, would have all the characteristics of PCOS, but they've never been officially diagnosed with PCOS. Exactly. So let's um, go over the symptoms. Now we're going to go over kind of the main symptoms here. Now it doesn't mean that if you have PCOS, you have to have all of the symptoms, which is why we call it kind of like a spectrum or a syndrome, because you might have one, you might have all the symptoms, you could have anywhere in between. So I think that's where women tend to get missed when we're looking at PCOS. So like I'd mentioned to begin with, polycystic ovarian syndrome is you can have a bunch of cysts on or in your ovaries. Yeah, so that, that's the obvious just based on the name. Uh, so usually in order to have a cyst problem, it's going to be some pain, especially around ovulation. Uh, it might be you know, a very significant pain. Uh, then, of course, you go to their gynecologist. They're going to request a transvaginal ultrasound. Uh, and there might be, there may or may not be cysts present on the ovaries. 
Yeah, so if you haven't had an, if you think you have PCOS or you've been diagnosed with PCOS and you haven't had a transvaginal ultrasound, then request your doctor to do one because you do want to find out if you have cysts or if you have multiple cysts. Now, one thing, even though they call it PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, a lot of women with PCOS don't have cysts. In fact, there are more women with PCOS that don't have cysts than women that do. But traditionally, as this has been around for many, many years, is the what they call the string of pearls. So they do a transvaginal ultrasound, they look at the ovaries, and there's like, it looks, it really does look like there's like, you know, really pretty round pearls in the, in the ovary. So you will see that sometimes, but honestly, most of the time you're not going to see that. Yeah. Right. And if, and as the name implies polycystic ovarian syndrome, if you don't have any cystic in your ovaries, then there's not really a, you're not going to fit into that conventional diagnostic criteria because that's, you know, and, and believe me, the, the ultrasound, the transvaginal ultrasound is usually the the more common step to this process. And if that comes back unremarkable or there's nothing present, then you're kind of back to the drawing board, you know, trying to figure some things out. Another common symptom is missing periods. A lot of doctors will call, will tell you, you have PCOS just by you telling them, well, I've missed periods for six months and no, I'm not pregnant. They just base that on their criteria as PCOS. But it is common with PCOS to miss anywhere between, you know, two to six months at a time with your periods or one every other month, or some women with PCOS have regular periods. Right, right. Uh, and that's something that, you know, we, you know, we see quite often. Uh, and uh, also an obvious, you know, maybe an obvious situation at that point, if they haven't had a regular cycle, you know, that would be the first thing that you and I would think of for sure, right? You know, and then we can go from there and maybe do some blood work. And if they haven't had that transvaginal ultrasound, that would be the time to order it for sure. Now, granted, not all women want to have a period every month. And when you have PCOS, when you do have a period, they can be pretty painful. So when we see a patient and we're like, you know what, we're going to get those periods regular. They actually look at me horrified because they're like, I don't want to have a horrible period every month, but that's where we balance the hormones to try to encourage that period to become more regular. In fact, um, I had a, a, you, you probably remember her, my roommate in college, she had PCOS, but she was one that wasn't quite overt. Like she didn't have all the classic symptoms and she would miss her period for months. And I remember buying her pregnancy test because I'm like, girl, we got to, if you have missed your period, we got to, you know, we got to check to make sure you're not pregnant. And we would do that all the time because she would miss, you know, four months in a row, but feel fine, you know, feel fine until she got that horrible period, you know, on the fifth month. So it is something to definitely look into with PCOS is those missed periods. Yeah. Now, uh, some of the other things that definitely show up, certainly acne or, you know, complexion problems um, that can certainly be on the list. Other things that are classified as hirsutism, so, you know, unconventional, uh, you know, or unwanted hair growth in places that women don't typically want it, uh, especially if it's on the face. You know, you could even have it around the nipple area, even on the abdomen below the belly button. Um, those are, you know, areas where men typically grow hair. Um, women typically are not supposed to grow hair in those areas, and that's usually driven by an excessive amount of androgen production. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, it's unfortunate because there's hair loss on the head, hair thinning, particularly in the temples and the top of the head, but then unfortunately, then it's growing elsewhere. Now we're humans, humans grow hair and everybody's different. So having a couple of hairs around the areola on your breast is totally normal. But if you are having PCOS driven hair growth, it definitely looks like there's more. 
Right, right, right. Uh, and no woman of, of any age, you know, we deal with a lot of women that are having hair issues, either losing it or growing it, you know, but no woman wants to be having um, either hair growth or hair loss issues. So that certainly becomes, uh, you know, a priority. And of course, the skin issues, right, that, you know, that can become uh, problematic as well. The probably the, the most common one that, you know, we hear a lot of, of course, is that weight gain, uh, and also underpinned by the stubbornness to be able to lose that weight, right? We talk with a lot of women and they're working really hard and their weight's not budging. They're having a really, really hard time trying to have any weight loss success. Yeah, we call it unexplained weight gain because they gain it really fast and it's so hard to lose. Now, you know, a lot of times they'll say, oh, let's go on a diet and let's just stop eating and exercise a whole bunch. In PCOS, that's not going to do the trick here. If You might lose a pound or two, but really it's all about that hormonal imbalance. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we'll talk more about the, you know, the weight gain side of it, you know, because that is, I think what any doctor that deals with women on a regular basis, especially if they deal with any kind of weight loss, they would say that the PCOS patients are definitely the, the most stubborn when it comes, not them as people, but I'm trying to help them lose weight. That becomes a very stubborn process because of what that PCOS is. It's a, it's a very significant hormonal issue. And like you said, going on a diet and exercising a bunch doesn't always, sometimes that actually makes the problem worse, uh, which we'll talk about later on uh, you know future episode. Uh, another thing that goes along with the weight gain, uh, we'll talk about some labs here in a second, but another thing that we, we both see quite often is elevated blood pressure. Exactly. Elevated blood pressure or borderline or moderate blood pressure, which you wouldn't typically expect, but then of course, the, you know, you definitely want to address that and make sure you bring the blood pressure down. But that's one key characteristic is they'll come in and say, yeah, I have this moderate blood pressure issue, but I'm on blood pressure medication, so it's controlled. So you want to take that into consideration. But like I said, on the flip side, there's a lot of women that have PCOS that don't have high blood pressure. In fact, they have low blood pressure. So it's definitely taking the collection of symptoms and putting them together before you throw out a diagnosis. Yeah, especially if a woman is in her 20s or 30s, you know, she probably shouldn't have hypertension in her 20s or 30s. And if her blood pressure is even borderline in her 20s or 30s, that is the same mechanism that creates the PCOS, you know, which is an insulin resistant issue, is the same reason why the blood pressure goes up. Uh, we'll talk more about blood pressure and insulin and how that's connected, but it has to do with what they call the renin-aldosterone system and water retention and increasing blood volume. It's pretty complicated. But again, when you see elevated blood pressure in that kind of atypical person, it's a clue that uh, they might have a PCOS problem. Now, you mentioned insulin. Now, I don't want to bore everybody and put everybody to sleep, but insulin is one, I wouldn't say it's a symptom because usually symptoms are something that you notice and you feel, but you can have elevated insulin, which then that can lead to weight gain in PCOS, but that can also lead to a risk factor or an increased risk factor for insulin resistance, prediabetes, and eventually diabetes type 2, depending on the person. Right, right. And that's where it gets complicated, right? Because on the surface, this is viewed as, as a female hormone problem, um, but it's a little bit more complicated than just, you know, estrogen, progesterone. You know, once those, once that estrogen, insulin level gets a little bit out of control, now it starts having an impact on the androgens, 
DHEA and testosterone, uh, and that's where all the symptoms manifest on the surface, whether it's weight, whether it's you know the hair growth that we talked about, or you know, the big one we mentioned early on is the fertility issues. This is the number one reason for women to have fertility problems. And you know, I'm not, you know, you and I are not fertility doctors, but I don't think fertility doctors necessarily work on the PCOS part. Their job is to try to help women get pregnant, but they kind of ignore the PCOS. And if you don't really deal with or take care of the PCOS part, you know, getting pregnant is going to be a lot more challenging, a lot more difficult. Exactly. I mean, that's their job. Fertility experts are working on having you make a baby. But at the same time, the reason that there could be an issue in not conceiving is because of PCOS. Now we don't want to, that's what also I'm going to say again, you know, a lot of doctors will diagnose you as PCOS if you haven't gotten pregnant in six months to a year. They say, oh, you got PCOS without doing any diagnostics, without looking at any other symptoms. It's just, we've been trying, I haven't gotten pregnant, it's been 10 months. So that's immediately what they tend to jump into. And then they jump into all the fertility meds or referring you to a specialist but do know with PCOS, there is a lack of ovulation, which can, of course, reduce down your possibility for conceiving. And that's a, that's a big deal with a lot of women is, you know, is, yeah, I've got PCOS, but I'm looking at, you know, possibly in the future having children. So it's definitely something you want to work on hormonally. Yeah, right. Definitely uh, for couples that are trying to get pregnant and they're not able to, right? You know, that is, you know, that's a really, really big deal because, you know, there's this pressure, there's, you know, there's a finite amount of time, there's this sense of urgency, you know, and uh, we always want with our patients, we want everyone to be as successful as possible. And again, you know, sometimes the conventional approach kind of misses some of those bigger things uh, and that, you know, that can greatly increase someone's, uh, you know, someone's chances of conceiving and maintaining that pregnancy. Uh, so why don't we go into, you know, the well, you forgot one of the most important uh, common symptoms. Oh, uh, uh, which is what? Well, you talked about the high androgens, which are the testosterone and the DHEA. So you think having high testosterone is going to make you testy. Irritability is huge in PCOS. In fact, sometimes that's the only complaint that women are really concerned about is they can't stand their mood. That you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, irritable for sure. Just kind of uh, not angry necessarily, but could be. You know, certainly have episodes of uh, anger or rage, um, but just irritable at you know the littlest things. Um, they just don't have a tolerance for. Now, granted, that also accounts for some other you know female hormone issues. But that you're definitely right for PCOS. That that probably would be close to the top of the list. Yeah, irritability, being annoyed at things that possibly don't warrant that level of being annoyed at. Yeah. Now that granted that may be just personality <laughs> that might not necessarily be a hormonal problem, but a lot of times in the people that we deal with, um, it ends up definitely being a hormonal problem and it gets better, right? Your mood lightens up, you know, there's a reduction to some of that, you know, uh, irritableness on a regular basis, uh, if that's even a word. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then people kind of tend to, women tend to mellow out a little bit, which is good for them and for everyone else around them. Exactly. So now we kind of went over the symptoms here with PCOS or some of the most classic ones. Like I said, you don't, to have PCOS doesn't mean that you have all of them, but you can have some of them. The um, next part, I think when you're, especially when you're talking to your doctor and your doctor says, Hey, you have PCOS is to find out, well, of course, are you basing my PCOS diagnosis on my, just my symptoms or also on some lab tests. So we want to go over some of the proper lab tests that you can do for PCOS and how to interpret them. 
Yeah, right. And these are, uh, you know, honestly, we deal with hormonal problems all the time. That's pretty much what we do. Um, so for any menstruating age woman, we're always running these exact same tests. Uh, and we are, you know, when we we're preparing for this episode beforehand, we, you know, kind of realized without realizing it is that a lot of times, even if you go see a gynecologist, these tests might not be run until way later. Um, they're not necessarily part of a, of initial workup, unless you're going to see someone that actually specializes in PCOS, um, which I don't, you know, I don't know if gynecologists specialize in PCOS necessarily or primary care doctors, certainly functional medicine minded doctors, women that deal with, uh, women's health issues, it's going to be at the top of their list or at least on their list because this is a relatively pretty common problem. If it's 10 to 15%, I think the number is of the popular of the female population. I think the percentage is even higher than that. That's going to equate to millions of millions of women across the country that are dealing with this and not to mention around the world that have this kind of a problem. So for me, one of my favorite tests to do, um, granted it's a blood test is to do the FSH to LH ratio. So the FSH stands for follicle stimulating hormone, follicle stimulating hormone, and the LH stands for luteinizing hormone. And they're not really hormones, but they're, as I say, stimulating hormones that are coming from your pituitary and they're monitoring the overall hormonal activity in the body. So, okay. So don't fall asleep here. I know I'm saying a lot here, but to back up, I do an FSH and an LH Commonly, your gynecologist will run an FSH. It tells you where you are, quote unquote, anywhere near menopause, anywhere near perimenopause, or nowhere near either. But a lot of times they don't run the LH, and what you find in PCOS is the LH, the luteinizing hormone, is at least double or more than the FSH. So for example, I do a FSH and LH, and my LH is 16 and my FSH is 8. That warrants looking into a possible diagnosis for PCOS, granted taking every all the factors into consideration, but if somebody has, or even an LH that's 32 and their FSH is 7, then that's really, you know, that LH is really high, or an LH at 12 and the FSH is at 6. So you're seeing this pattern of the LH being double or more than that FSH, and that really does point to looking into PCOS. Yeah, right. Uh, and that ratio um, certainly uh, does play out. Uh, now, the next one, of course, we've already mentioned, but this is maybe more of the classic or, you know, the conventional, uh, um, it, it, which is DHEA sulfate, not just plain DHEA, but DHEA sulfates or DHEA hyphen S, um, which is just a metabolite of DHEA. And then, of course, testosterone. Um, both of those numbers can be either both elevated, they both can be high normal and still have the same situ uh, situation. So it may come back, uh, you know, at, you know, normal, like within the reference range, but it might be on the high end of those, of, of those reference ranges, but yet all the physical symptoms are still present. So you combine that with the ratio you're just talking about, and now it kind of paints a little bit of a different picture. Uh, so let's go through the reference ranges for those two. So for a woman, uh, testosterone two to 45, right? So what would you say, uh, what would be a number on that testosterone where you start to maybe suspect that they're on that spectrum? Right around 35 and higher. So yeah. I'm granted two to 45 is a huge reference range. And it's kind of pathetic that a female could be at three and be normal and could be at 40 and be normal for their testosterone. So yeah, like you said, take into consideration the symptoms. But when you see 35 or more, you start thinking, okay, this person has a little bit elevated testosterone, you know, compared to the rest of the population that we want to look at that PCOS. I, I see a lot of teenage girls and they, you know, their reference ranges are different pediatric, but they might be at like 30 or 35. 
I definitely on a teenage girl, when I see that, we want to jump into and look at a little bit of PCOS so we can work on that now rather than later when they're older. Yeah, because of what PCOS is, the fact that it is a, you know, what we would consider to be a metabolic hormone issue, right, a primary uh, metabolic hormone problem, it tends to get worse over time. So in the early stages, as a girl is in her teens or early 20s, by the time she's 30 or 35, that problem has gotten way worse because uh, the time that it, you know, that she has gone through and the life she's living and the stressors and all the different things that that hormonal issue tends to compound on itself. Uh, so the more time that goes by, in some ways, the harder it is for that problem to be resolved down the road. And, and the DHEA, which is an androgen, DHEA comes from our adrenal glands mainly, and its job is to convert into testosterone. So it's another way that we make testosterone is by way of DHEA. So you definitely want to check the DHEA. But as Dr. Mackey said, we want to check the DHEA sulfate because that's a metabolite of DHEA and it's a little bit more specific to understand if someone has elevated levels of DHEA. Now, again, the reference ranges like testosterone are huge and DHEA is highest when we're young and does go down with time as we get older. So we want to take that into consideration, but normally you will see with PCOS a high normal DHEA sulfate, if not over the edge of normal. Yeah, so let's say a DHEA reference range for a 25-year-old woman is probably 40 to 280, something like that, right? So again, kind of just a ridiculous reference range. Um, but we run these numbers on pretty much all age women because DHA sulfate also is a really good way to get a... Uh, an idea of what their adrenal status is because DHEA is made in the adrenal glands. Uh, and sometimes, depending on the woman, depending on the situation, you might think that it's going to be an elevated number or high normal number, and then it's really low. Uh, you know, so you might see a number for a, a woman that you would expect it to be maybe 250 plus, and it ends up being less than 100. Okay, but for PCOS, uh, that number is going to be, you know, definitely above the reference range or at least high normal. So we like to see it for most age women, somewhere between, what would you say, 125 to 175? It does depend on, on the female, but usually right around 150, because sometimes when it does get a little bit higher, you do notice acne. So people always think of acne being caused by testosterone. I find DHEA causes way more um, acne than testosterone ever does. In fact, um, i I've had plenty of patients um, that I'll tell them, here, you need to take five milligrams of DHEA, maybe 10 milligrams of DHEA because we need to work on your adrenals. They go home or they go to Whole Foods or they go and take their husband's DHEA and it's 25 or 50 milligrams. And when they come back to see me, their face is covered in pimples. It's really common yeah. because uh, DHEA will cause acne. And then you do their follow-up blood test and their DHEA is like 400. Uh, you know, right. So for a menstruating woman, that really wouldn't be a good idea, right? That could easily kind of shut your period off um, because that's what we're talking about. So when you're, if you're supplementing for a menstruating woman, you want to be a little careful with those androgens. For a woman that is no longer menstruating, she's in menopause or has had a hysterectomy, you can get away with a little bit of a higher uh, DHEA level. And in some ways that can be very beneficial. Um, but those cosmetic issues, it can exacerbate the hair loss, it can exacerbate the hair growth, and it can definitely, like you say, kind of aggravate the skin a little bit. And no woman wants any of those things. And especially if you have PCOS and you're making more DHEA, so it's not like I can stop taking my supplement and my skin clears up. They're, they're making too much DHEA. They're making, and they're having the cystic acne, which tends to be on the chin um, and the jawline. That's probably more specific is where they get that acne. Then they, you know, they don't know what to do, but there are definitely options, but that DHEA, it's a fine line. 
Yeah. Uh, now, uh, of course, you you know this is a female hormone issue, so of course it would make sense to consider doing estradiol or estrogen, uh, usually in the form of estradiol. We don't do total estrogens. We don't really find that to be a very useful test at all. Uh, and then, of course, progesterone. If I had to pick between the two of those, I'd say probably more progesterone than estri- estradiol. But the day of the month, okay, if you're not cycling, then it's really not important to do because that kind of tells us already if you're not having a regular cycle. If you haven't had a period in six months, we already know your estrogen level is on the low end because otherwise you would have had a cycle already. But, but the day of the month, if you are having a regular cycle, either day 12, which is the peak of estrogen, or day 21, which is the peak of progesterone, we prefer day 21, um, but either one of those, or at least close to those days, would be beneficial to know, uh, because then that will also dictate the FSH and LH numbers as well, too. Yeah, so you don't want to just do one of these tests. So I'm a doc, and I'm testing you for PCOS. I'm not just going to run the, t- the testosterone, and that be it. You have to have the whole gamut. So, and like I said, a lot of women with PCOS might miss a few months or their periods are irregular and they're missing, you know, one month, three months, six months is you want, you still want to do that progesterone because if you're, because progesterone comes up only if you ovulate pretty much. So if you're not ovulating, then you're not going to be making progesterone. So you do want to do that progesterone, but at the same time, you want to pair it with that FSH and LH at the same time and then do the DHA sulfate with the testosterone. So it's not like one's better than the other. You really want to have the whole picture. Yeah. Uh, and now we don't, we're not really big fans of cholesterol in the classic sense of statin drugs and lipid management. Um, however, the cholesterol profile can be very, you know, very helpful when you're looking at some of these things. And definitely the, probably the number that we think is the most important of that profile is your triglyceride level. Uh, reference range is anything less than 150. Uh, we prefer um, them to be less than 75. So the lower, the better. But the reason why the t- triglycerides are significant is because they're directly correlated to insulin status. So the more triglycerides you have, we can infer that your insulin is a little, a little bit of out, out of whack. Uh, and that's really kind of the underlying issue of the PCOS in the first place. So I kind of call it the triad. So with PCOS, you'll see high triglycerides, you'll see the elevated insulin, and eventually you'll see the elevated glucose. So those, hence the triad, the three. So those are kind of the three main players that you're looking at, especially when you're looking at insulin resistance or that risk for diabetes type 2. Yeah, right. And then uh, as that insulin tends to become more, uh, you know, dysfunctional or imbalanced, then your testosterone will will eventually rise at some point. Um, But that might not be the first step in that process. There's other things that have to, you know, that are going on there. And that's why if you just look at the DHA or the testosterone, one or the other, you might miss some of these other clues that are, you know, that are giving you an idea of what's going on. Because you and I both know that uh, of all the patients we've dealt with over the years, even PCOS, you know, but every other hormonal problem for that matter, it never shows up with the exact way that the textbooks tell you, right? Just never. Uh, you can see 10 people that have, have a diagnosis of PCOS. You look at their lab work and you'll see 10 different sets of labs, right? They're always different. Some will have a high testosterone. Some will have a high DHA. Some will have both of them elevated. Some will have normal triglycerides. Another person won't, uh, you know, so it's really kind of uh, you know, piecing those little things together and, you know, uh, they kind of tell you a little bit of a story about what's going on with that particular patient. Exactly. So not only is the labs helpful in quote unquote diagnosing PCOS, but it's also helpful in have, you know, having to treat PCOS. Like I had one teenage patient, um, the other week and sure her testosterone is 
is actually pretty low. It's, you know, down there at 19, but her insulin is so high. It's up there at like 22.6. So that's where we've got to focus on that insulin. And you'll see that in other patients where that's reversed. Their insulin, you know, is a little bit lower, maybe about nine or eight, but then their testosterone's up at 55. So you got to take that patient and treat them differently than the other one. So this is definitely more of individualized medicine, but you want to have this data so that when you help treat them, of course, the proof's in the pudding, they feel better, but then you run the lab work again to see if you've had any changes with that objective values. Yeah, because month to month, you know, minus, let's say a woman that is not having a period, all of a sudden she gets her period back. That's great. Um, But there might not be a lot of changes, uh, you know, month to month for a while. Right, you might the woman might not be experiencing, uh, you know, anything, and they get a little frustrated. Or they might get a little bit demotivated. They get, uh, you know, upset because they don't, you know, their bodies are not changing as quickly as they want to. But now you look at that objective information and say, oh, your insulin's gone from twenty two point five, and now it's gone, it's gone down to fifteen point five. It's gone down to fourteen, or preferably, it's less. Where we want to see insulin is less than five. Uh, you know, another example of a ridiculous reference range when it goes from two to twenty on a reference range, and we think, as other doctors like us think, that that number ideally should be less than five on a consistent basis. Uh, so, uh, you know, th- uh, and really, the insulin, as we talked about, most doctors, this is, you know, really the confusing part. Most doctors won't even run a fasting insulin. You know, conventionally, if you're part of regular insurance-based medicine, they will not even run your insulin level unless you ask them. If you ask them to do it, they'll say, oh, that's not necessary, right? But, you know, there's a lot of people that have good relationships with their primary care physicians that they may run it. So it's good that you know this so you can go to your doctor and tell them, I really want this run. Yeah, right. Yeah, you you know, definitely doctors... Uh, I will say, you know, even you and you and um, you and myself, we tend to get you know a little stuck in our ways. We try to be as progressive as possible, uh, and always trying to you know expand and grow our expertise and you know help our patients. Um, but at the same time, you know, doctors in general, they they kind of get a little bit you know habituated to what they do and the way medicine is done. It doesn't evolve very much, uh, you know. So you definitely have to be an advocate for yourself and. Um, we think these are important because these are the things that we see all the time. Uh, and you need to see all of this kind of, you know, collective information to be able to make the right decisions for your patients. Exactly. And then one really important thing, if you've been diagnosed or you think you have PCOS or you've been told you you have PCOS is you want to ask your doctor about your thyroid function because thyroid and PCOS go together very hand in hand. When the PCOS hormones are a little bit not balanced well, you know, that testosterone's up, the DHA sulfate's up, that progesterone's really super low, and then the insulin's elevated, that can put a huge burden on the thyroid and then it reduces the function of the thyroid, which then you're down the rabbit's hole with a whole bunch of other symptoms or the low thyroid can actually exacerbate a lot of the PCOS symptoms. Yeah. And one of the best ways to have an impact on the female cycle is via the thyroid, especially when it comes to fertility. I mean, that if, if pregnancy is what your goal, ultimate goal is, and for a lot of women, it certainly is, um, then the thyroid function has to be not just normal, right? You can't look at a TSH and say someone's thyroid is fine when it's, you know, 2.5 or 3.2. You know, those numbers really need to be optimized because it will, it will greatly increase their likelihood of getting pregnant. 
So the best test we think for thyroid function to really, you know, have a quick look at that thyroid function is to do the TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone, just like the follicle stimulating hormone. It's a stimulating hormone that comes from the brain and it monitors your overall thyroid uh, level in your body. Like Dr. Mackey said, you never want to base someone's thyroid function or someone's thyroid medication dose on a simple TSH test. But a TSH is important to have along with a free T4 and a free T3. Uh, free hormones mean that they're bioavailable, that they're ready for use. So you don't want doing the total T4 and the total T3 is just not specific enough. Just like the total DHEA or total estrogens, it's not specific enough. You want to get more specific. So to really test that thyroid function, TSH, free T4, and free T3. Yeah, and we could probably throw on there, to be honest, if we're uh, you know just to be thorough, we could throw on the Hashimoto antibodies, especially if fertility problems are present. Um, you know, that's a really common uh, reason, right? Like literally 70% of hypothyroid cases are Hashimoto type. So we could easily put those on, especially if it's a screening test and you haven't necessarily been told before whether you have Hashimoto's or not, it should be definitely evaluated. And of course, probably one of the most important things to ask your doctor if you've been diagnosed with PCOS is well, what are the, some healthy options to help with my symptoms? What's some good treatment plans? Yeah, now uh, that's kind of a loaded question, <laughs> right? Because we know, uh, unfortunately, we know, and that's this is part of the reason why we're doing this, uh, because we know kind of how the conventional system works and what they do. Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, most of the time it's birth control pills and or maybe metformin. Uh, metformin is a diabetes medication, um, that is, uh, you know, for the most part, supposed to help with insulin sensitivity, which on the in theory, it makes a lot of sense, um, but not necessarily enough to completely change that situation. Yeah, one, you know, it's not one pill fits all. It's really more of, you know, a you know, looking at it from a full, um, full approach, you know, you want to look at the supplementation, you want to look at the dietary, you want to look at the lifestyle and then possible prescription options for PCOS. Like Dr. Mackey said, you know, metformin can be a great medication for the particular individual when you're, when you're also implementing it with other, you know, other dietary or lifestyle. So like Dr. Mackey said is, you know, if a doctor tells you here's some birth control pills and go on a diet, that's probably not the best option you want. And not, not that they're not trying to help, but and not that primary care physicians should be the jack of all trades because they're really not, but at least be able to help you find a specialist or you know a nutritionist or a functional medicine doctor so that we can all work together as your healthcare team. Right, right, right. Uh, now the the, uh, uh, the other uh, part of uh, you know of that, like you said, it is you know you can't just take a couple of medications now one that we do actually use quite a bit for situations like this is spironolactone um spironolactone actually is a diuretic you know as a class of drug um but it can actually have a really good impact on lowering testosterone levels which can help you know can help that situation in the short term we both wouldn't necessarily agree that it's going to be a long term treatment uh you know by any means uh, and it's usually, for the most part, fairly well tolerated, and it can get those testosterone levels um, down fairly quickly while you're working on the other things, the other lifestyle and supplementation things at the same time. Exactly. Because we work with a lot of women with PCOS, especially with getting pregnant. And once they get pregnant, you know, they wouldn't want to be on their spironolactone or whatnot. We, then we make a whole new treatment plan once they're pregnant to work, you know, with the pregnancy. So it really, I guess it really does come down to just work eat. Everybody is an individual. We're a unique individual. So where you are on that spectrum of PCOS is going to 
determine and what your goals are is going to determine where we're going to work with. Yeah, right. Uh, now, one thing I do see a lot, especially when it comes to the weight side, we're going to talk a little bit more about this and some other episodes coming up about weight in general. Um, but I do see a lot of women that have PCOS or at least on the spectrum of PCOS. It's not an all or nothing kind of a syndrome. Um, there's definitely a, a low, moderate and a high level of severity of, P, of PCOS, uh, which we'll definitely be talking more about later. Um, but I do see a lot of women that are um, doing the cl the classic eating less and exercising more. You kind of alluded to earlier, uh, you know. So they're starving themselves and going on a diet, and they're st uh, starving themselves and exercising a lot. Uh, and and sometimes with PCOS, that can actually make the situation worse. Uh, it can drive up those hormones. It can kind of exacerbate the whole situation. Uh, you know, it's not about you know as they say, no pain, no gain. It's about taking a little bit more of a gentle approach. Uh, and understanding how the hormones are affecting you. And now you can, you know, now you're able to follow a strategy that is one going to be fairly easier for you to manage over time. And then hopefully you're able to get better results without having to necessarily work so hard on a week to week basis. Oh, exactly. And we have other podcasts that talk about exercise and weight loss and whatnot. So, and also other, we have definitely lots of blogs and articles about that as well. But we really just wanted to kind of help you a little bit with what questions to ask your doctor. Because a lot of people have lots of doctors all over the country that sometimes they kind of get lost in the fold and they don't really know what to ask their doctor. Like I always say, you know, write a list of your questions before you walk in. Cause the second you get into that office, you're going to blank. So write, you know, write a list, ask, you know, does my blood testing reflect your diagnosis of PCOS? What symptoms are you referring to that would be part of my PCOS? What are some healthy options and treatments? And if you don't quite know, which is fine, do you have somebody you can refer me to that can help me with my diet, that can help me with my supplements, that can help me with my lifestyle, that can help me with my exercise? And then what possible prescriptions can I take and are they going to be safe? Are they going to be effective? And then most, you know, most importantly, like I said, the thyroid function is huge with the PCOS. And then for a lot of women, the fertility is huge for them too. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is um, you know, a complicated issue. There's lots of nuances to it. There's not really one way to treat someone. Um, like you said, you know, it definitely takes a little bit of an individualized approach. Now, granted, there's some common themes there and it tends to be similar from one person to the next. Um, but, um, you know, definitely uh, it needs to be more than just, you know, taking a couple of prescriptions and off you go, right? There's more to it than just that. So, uh, hopefully this has given everybody some insights. If you are dealing with this or you're you're thinking you might have an issue, but you haven't really been diagnosed yet, just know um, that it is not black or white either. You know, it's not just whether you have it or you don't. There's definitely some shades, some absolute shades of gray there. Uh, and that's the point that we're trying to get across is that, you know, for you to understand that there is shades of gray and you might be somewhere, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, on that spectrum somewhere. And it gives you at least some more insight and you can advocate for yourself. So Dr. Davidson, you have anything else to add? No, no, this was really great. I hope it helped everybody. And if you have any questions, please, please reach out. All right. Until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at ProgressYourHealth.com.